We know that the more sleep deprived we get, the slower our reaction time, the slower our cognition. We know that um, sleep affects every organ system and every disease state. If you get good sleep, all of those get better. If you don't get good sleep, all of those get worse. Welcome to the What Up Doc University podcast, your number one resource for total body wellness. Here's your host, Dr. Mike. Sleep is another one of those things that we don't really recognize the importance of it until we can't sleep effectively. Welcome back, guys, to the What Up Doc University podcast. This is Dr. Mike, welcoming you back to another season with the What Up Doc University podcast. It's been a great summer. Uh, I've been traveling all over the United States. I got to see Yosemite National Park with my family. First time for me. Got a little bit of smoke because of some of the fires going on, but nevertheless, we had fun. Um, got to spend some time out in Sandy, Utah, and uh, saw some of the mountains and views up there. So it's been an eventful summer, but now we're back. I got some great episodes lined up for you guys. And in today's episode, we are talking about sleep. And I brought on a guest, and he is known as The Sleep Doctor. And he's been on numerous different shows. And when I first heard his one of his uh, um, talks on YouTube, it really fascinated me because he talked about this thing called a chronotype in that we all have a different type of chronobiological clock, right? And he's going to go over all of that in today's episode. Now, what I want you guys to do is I want you to listen to the episode and then go back, re-listen to it again. And then I'm, uh, I have a link down to where you can take the test to figure out what your chronotype is, because this is going to be very important. Um, it, it's going to be one, you know, the foundation to the blueprint for your health. So if you know your chronotype, you're going to understand how and when to sleep, uh, when to take certain medications and how to coordinate with your partner. Uh, so that's going to go go over all of that in today's podcast. So sit back, relax, and listen in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the What Up Doc University podcast. We got another special guest today talking about, I know your favorite subject. We're going to be talking about sleep. And, and one thing that we've been discussing online with um, the power of when. And today we have our special guest, Dr. Michael Bruce. Hey, Doc, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Dr. Mike? I'm doing well on this fabulous California morning. It's kind of overcast <laughs> today. You know, the weather's been kind of crazy, right? It's like been hot and then raining and then there was hail. It has been crazy. Uh, you know, I live in Southern California for folks out there, and uh, it's not what I ordered for this week. I'm going to have to talk to the boss about that. I know, I know. Let's jump right into it. So, um by trade, you are a clinical psychologist. Tell us a little bit about why you chose that path. Uh, why I chose the path for sleep or why I chose the path for For, for clinical, clinical psychology. psychology. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of interested in that. So, um, you know, I was in college at uh, Skidmore, which is in upstate New York, a okay. small liberal, art, liberal arts school. And I had originally gone there for creative writing. And of course, you're forced to take core classes. And one of my core classes was an introduction to psychology course. 
And uh, the professor there is a guy named Sheldon Solomon, and he was just this totally weird out there guy um, who really seemed like he had some answers to something. And um, I was at college looking for answers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, and so I said, well, I'll give it a shot. And I took his class and then met him afterwards. And he uh, asked me to take one of his um, uh, more specialty classes. And it just seemed like something that was kind of uh, an interesting area. I mean, to really learn about people, how what makes them tick, how do they work was uh, was very appealing to me. Uh, and uh, of course, the best looking girls were in the psychology courses. So it, that didn't hurt either. Is that right? Is oh, that, yeah. Oh, I always thought they were in, in the business courses that psychology, huh? So go to a, go to a small liberal arts school and you'll find them in the education department and in the psychology. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. So tip to you guys out there, you single guys are in college, liberal arts, psychology. So you jump into (laughs) clinical psychology and what about it? it, it, Did did you start leaning towards studying the area of sleep? Well, you know, um, it wasn't until graduate school. So I already had my undergraduate in psychology and I was uh, I was actually applying to graduate programs, and uh, my father was um, ill. Uh, he's fine now, and um, I needed to stay close to home. I'm originally from Atlanta, and I was fortunate enough to get into one of the top twenty uh, clinical psychology programs in the country because I was published as an undergraduate, and. Um, it just kind of started to work out. And while I was there, I, uh, you have to do what's called a residency program. So not too unsimilar or not too dissimilar from what you would do as a medical doctor. And my, uh, in my, the residency place that I was going to uh, was really interesting because uh, they had a rotation in neuropsychology and they had a rotation in sleep. And those are two things that I was very interested in. And nobody took the sleep rotation, which was really surprising to me because I thought, well, this looks cool. I sleep. I'm. A, I don't know anything about it. I want to learn more about it. And yeah. um, by the third day, I absolutely fell in love with clinical sleep medicine. I mean, uh, I I get. I have a very unique job, but I have a unique opportunity. Uh, and that opportunity is I get to help people in between 24 and 48 hours uh, and change their life. Help them, not just a little bit of oh, I'm going to give you a tip or a trick here. It's truly life changing when you change somebody's sleep. You, you changed their lives. And um, it just became so rewarding on so many levels that I just said, you know what, I think this is what I want to do for my career. My first job out of graduate uh, work was uh, managing a four-bed sleep laboratory uh, in Decatur, Georgia. And we grew that business from four beds to 12 beds in three locations. Uh, and we were off and running. You know, it's, it, that's that's such an interesting thing, you know, to, to study that area of sleep. And um, I I read a couple books um, by oh, I think his name is Dr. Daniel Lieberman, and he studies like uh-huh. evolutionary biology and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that always stuck in the back of my mind is why do we even need to sleep? You know, it seems <laughs> you know from an evolutionary perspective, like going to sleep puts us at a disadvantage. So in your studies, why, why, why do we need to sleep? So this is the ultimate question that we do not 
I repeat, we do not have a good answer for. We know what happens when we don't sleep, right? but we don't necessarily know what happened, the reason for sleep. We know that the more sleep deprived we get, the slower our reaction time, the slower our cognition. We know that um, sleep affects every organ system and every disease state. If you get good sleep, all of those get better. If you don't get good sleep, all of those get worse. Uh, we know that sleep uh, is critically involved in the production of memory. We know that during stage three and four, you take the unnecessary information and filter it out. Uh, and then in, during REM sleep, you take the necessary information and you move it from your short-term memory to your long-term memory. So there are a lot of little kind of thoughts about it, but the basic idea is it's a you know battery recharge. Um, it, it's a time for growth hormone to be emitted, so that way you can fix any of the insults or injuries that may have come to the body during the day. Um, it's a time for uh, mental consolidation, as I was saying before, with memory. Uh, and, uh, you know, just like milk, sleep does a body good, right? Yes. So this is the one thing that I, that I always thought about because, you know, when I was in college, you know, taking, you know, your general requirements of psychology and then they told us the stuff around sleep and how it's important for your brain. I always wondered and I would ask my professors like, well, why do you guys put so much of a load on on college students uh, of these coursework? And I mean, we're studying to the wee hours of the night and then not being able to recall all that stuff because you're sleep deprived. Do, do you think that we should probably change the way that we're schooling people? Well, it depends upon the – so the answer to the question is yes, I do. Yeah. Um, the question becomes what do you do and how do you do it? Right. And so uh -huh. like the, the, the worst grievance, I would say, that I have um, has to do with the ages that my children are at right now. My, I have a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old. Oh. My son is in high school and my daughter is about to enter high school. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, when you look at children that are that age, they're naturally – um, what I call a wolf or a, a, a night owl. These, the, their biological clock wants them to stay up late and to sleep late, yet they're having to get up at six o'clock in the morning to catch the bus for mm. school. Um, and it's really not good. I mean, there's a lot of data now. I mean, there, the, there was a bill that was just introduced here in California to make school start times later. Yeah. Um, yeah. To be able that, yeah. to, to, to help these kids out. Um, and um, it, it's tough, you know, uh, when you get to college, you have a little bit more flexibility with your schedule. You can have early classes or late classes. You can take naps during the day. But, you know, when you're, uh, you know, grade zero through 12, um, your day is set. You show up at a certain time. You have stuff to do all day. You leave at a certain time. And then not to mention that so many children are overscheduled at this point, you know, with dance lessons and athletics and theater and you know, volleyball and whatever it is that you want to do, you know, instruments, guitar, blah, 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 whatever it is that you want to do, it usually happens after school. Um, and I, I don't think kids are getting the sleep that they need. And that has some pretty dramatic effects on brain development, but it also has some pretty dramatic effects on their emotions. You know, I mean, take a 13 year old who's going through puberty and don't, don't let them sleep very well. And if you think they were bad before, they're really going to be bad after that. <laughs> yeah. Especially at that age, right? <laughs> exactly. So let, let, let's talk about, let's talk about the book, The Power of When. And huh? I, I know um, there's going to be a majority of the people that's listening right now that you know, when we say the word chronotype, they have no idea what that means. Take us, take us into what exactly is a chronotype. Sure. So, um, so first of all, everybody out there has heard of chronotype before. They just don't realize it. And so, if you've ever heard of somebody being called an early bird or a night owl, 
then you know what a chronotype is. And so I'll tell you the story of how I kind of got interested in it. Uh, about five years ago or so, I had a patient who came in and um, thought she was a typical insomnia patient. So we were working together and I was trying out my, my kind of tried and true techniques. And quite honestly, I was failing miserably. Um, she wasn't getting any better. It just wasn't working. And after about two or three weeks, she came back in and we really sat down and I said, you know, I just don't get it. You know, usually this type of stuff works really well. I'm kind of running out of, you know, you know, tools in the toolbox. And she said, it's not that I can't fall asleep and it's not that I can't stay asleep. She said, I want to sleep at the wrong time. Mm. And I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, if I could go to bed at one and get up at eight or nine, she said, my life would be perfect. And I said, well, why don't you do that? And she said, well, I've got a job and my boss wouldn't agree to that. And I'm, by the way, I'm not doing very well at my job. Um, I've got children and they have to wake up at seven o'clock in the morning and a husband and none of them would, would be agreeable to all of this. And I said, wow. Okay. I said, well, what if we ran an experiment just for seven days? you know, not forever, but just for seven days to kind of learn how would it affect you if we had you sleep later? Because I had, I had, like I said, I've got my children who are, were at the time, not that old, but were kind of starting to approach that area. And I said, you know, maybe she's phase delayed. Maybe her body is stuck in this whole extreme night owl scenario. So I called her boss and I said, you know, I want to have her come in later. And he said, you can do whatever you want. I'm firing her at the end of the week. And I was like, oh, my gosh, no pressure here. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I said, well, will you at least look, look at the results from our experiment and, and, and see if you really want to do that? And he was like, yeah, sure. So that's what we did. And we had her come in later. And I called him on Friday and I said, well, what's the news? And he said, I don't know what you two have been working on. But she shows up at the new time. She doesn't fall asleep in meetings. She participates. Her work product is significantly better. He said, not only am I going to hire her. He said, but I'm, I think I'm going to change her hours because it looks like this is when she's the most productive and we can have some flexibility around here. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. So I go and I call her up to tell her the good news. And her husband gets on the phone and he said, I don't know what you did to my wife, but I like my wife more. Wow. Which is, which is a pretty powerful statement. That right? is. You know, and I was like, all right, explain. And he said, we're not arguing as much. She's not, she's getting along well with the kids. You know, if we just leave her alone in the morning, we let her sleep. It's really surprising how much better things are. So I hop on the phone with her and I'm like, this is so exciting. And you get to keep your job. And she said something to me that really kind of spurred my interest. And she said, you know, I feel like I have time zones. Mm -hmm. I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, there's certain times of the day yeah. I can do things better than others. You know, now that I'm getting up at the times that my body works with my body, I'm finding that I'm certainly pro more productive, but there are certain things I can be more productive at. She said, you know, I, I know that email works well for me at such and such a time and, you know, lunch is better at this time and, and things like that. And I said, well, let's, let's take a look at that. So I dove into the medical literature. There were in the last four to five years, there have been over 350 studies looking at morningness and eveningness and sort of what does all that mean? Um, and, um, but then I noticed that there really wasn't a category for people with insomnia. And again, that's my specialty because of my background in clinical psychology, um, and sleep disorders, almost everybody in the practice would send me their insomnia patients because they would always say, well, I don't know what to do with them, Michael, do, do one of your psychology maneuvers and see if you can help this person out. So I've always been working with insomnia patients, but th this, um, categorization didn't include insomnia. So I figured we needed to do that. So I created an assessment tool. Um, and for everybody out there, if you want to go take it, it's free. You just go to uh, www.thepowerofwhenquiz.com. 
That's thepowerofwhenquiz.com, and I'm sure that'll be in the show notes. Yep. Um, and uh, you can figure out what your chronotype is. And, and so that was kind of fun. And then what I realized was, holy cow, if I match up people's hormones, because, you know, hormones are distributed on a very um, predictable um, level, right? Right yeah. after you wake up, certain hormones rise, certain mm-hmm. hormones fall, certain number of hours later, certain hormones rise, certain hormones fall. And so I matched the hormone profiles based on people's chronotypes to whatever activity they wanted to do. And it turns out I can tell people the best time to have sex, eat a cheeseburger, run a mile, you know, ask your boss for a raise, you name it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I first heard about this, I went, I, I took the quiz, determined mm-hmm. my chronotype. Cause uh, you know, I mean, when you get, when you get married, right. You, mm-hmm. there, there, there's always this thing of, you know, the opposites attract. And sometimes in, you know, in my practice, I see that this has an underlying effect upon people's relationships as well, because, you know, so one partner wants them to be one way and the other partner's like, I, I don't understand why you sleep so long. You know, right. like when uh, my, my wife and I were, were high school sweethearts. And uh, when uh-huh. we were, when we were in high Dude. school, I mean, I got, I got to school at like, four o'clock in the morning because we had baseball practice before school and all that kind of stuff. And she wouldn't get up until after um, our homeroom period and she would come strolling down and she functioned perfectly, perfectly well. Whereas I needed to be awake and, you know, right as soon as I I woke up, uh, I'm going, you know, at four o'clock in the morning. So I took the test and and, uh, found out that I'm a lion, you Uh know, and uh, that's kind of like how I run my life. Um, exactly. But the, the that you know we have again. They say the opposites attract. You know, uh, my yeah. wife had, my, she hasn't taken the the chronotype test yet because she, she what? You no, know, you got to get her to take I know, that she, thing. Yeah, she's she's gonna go take it today um, <laughs> because I, you know I'm like okay well because it plays an important part in your life. You know and. It- we, it really does. We don't, you know, just just by the example that you talk, because there's far-reaching effects uh, upon your employment, upon your maybe your diet, maybe your relationships, and all of this kind of stuff. Um, what other things that we don't necessarily think about when we when we look at chronotypes? Uh, what other things should be, or, or does it affect? Well, you know, here's what's been interesting. Yeah, um, and when we didn't expect this. Uh, this has really become a communication tool between couples, mm. right? And so what ends up happening is one person takes the quiz and then whoever their significant other is, they say, hey, will you take this quiz? And they haven't taken the quiz. And then all of a sudden they, they have the realization, well, I'm a lion and she's a bear or mm. she's a wolf and I'm a, I'm a lion or, or all these different things. And all of a sudden things start to make a lot more sense. People are like, oh, well, no wonder you don't, you're grouchy in the mornings. You're a wolf. You hate mornings. Why on earth would I try to talk to you about a serious you know, situation that we have without you know, understanding that you're not even awake at that time? And, and how about talking to children based on the children's age? We know what kind of chronotype they'll have, um, being able to talk with them. I mean, classic example is my daughter, right? So I pick her up uh, at 3 o'clock um, from the bus, and I say, how was your day? And she says, fine. And I said, um, did you make any new friends? She says, no. I said, do you have any homework? She says, yes. Right. Very monosyllabic yeah, one yeah. word answers. Right. If I walk into her room at 1030 at night and I ask the exact same questions, which I and I've done this experiment, I'm there for an hour and a half and she's <laughs> chatting and talking to me and we're up till midnight. Right. Sure. And so 
because that's her time, right? She's a wolf. She's a night owl. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, she's 13 years old and that's when she's really much more motivated to have that conversation. So, you know, it, it has really turned out to affect every area of life. I mean, I get emails from people all the time that said, you know, I never realized it, but um, when I have communication with my boss, with my uh, partner, with my children, you know, by using your methodology, it's significantly more successful. So that's been the real kind of bonus that I never would have expected, mm. um, you know, as part of my, um, as part of this whole journey that I'm taking with the power of when. That's cool. That's cool. So yeah, it is cool. What, um, so briefly walk our listeners through the, the different types of chronotypes. Sure. So um, the first type is called a lion. So this is also synonymous with what somebody would consider to be an early bird. Uh, my lions are my COOs of a company. They're leaders. Um, they are type A personalities. They're very good at organizing people. They're not necessarily um, as good at getting some of the details of things done, but they're very good at leadership. Um, they, uh, they like to make a list almost every day, and they like to go from step one to step two to step three. They don't like to deviate um, at all. They're, they're very kind of set in their ways. Um, the biggest, and a lot of people, by the way, have lion envy. So they say, oh gosh, you know, I wish I was a lion. I wish yeah, I got yeah, up yeah. at, you know, five o'clock in the morning, uh, and got more done before seven than most people get done all day. Um, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of cool stuff about being a lion, but the truth of the matter is, is, uh, it's not always the most fun. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, lions socially have significant problems because, they're exhausted by six, seven o'clock at yeah, night. You know, yeah. they, they're not interested in dinner and a movie. They're interested in going to bed um, because they've been up since four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. So, um, you know, for those of you out there that want to be a lion, you know, your social world might take a hit um, because of it. Uh, the next up are bears. And so bears are kind of in between. Uh, and by the way, it's great to be a bear. It's actually the best to be a bear. And I'll tell you why. It's because the world runs uh, on a bear schedule. Um, bears get up around seven, seven thirty. They go to bed around ten, ten thirty. You know, in that range, um, and the whole world works on that on their schedule. And so, understanding where your hormones are um, during that period of time can really increase or optimize what it is you're trying to accomplish, whether it's at work or home or spiritually or what have you. Um, and so, the bears kind of fall into that middle category. And they're my extroverts. Um, they're kind of the glue that keeps society together. They're the people that get stuff done. Um, very social, good friends, um, usually kind of know what the office gossip is, uh, and, uh, and, and a lot of fun to kind of hang out with. Next are the wolves. And, and I, wolves are a lot like night owls. And I'm a wolf. Um, I never go to bed before midnight, hardly ever. Um, and, um, I don't like mornings. As a matter of fact, the only thing that I don't like more than mornings are morning people. Um, (laughs) (laughs) honestly, um, I'm just not that guy, you know, like if somebody said to me, Michael, you need to teach a class at nine o'clock in the morning, I would say, you know, that's really not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, we know that wolves are very creative, um, have a tendency to be introverts, believe it or not. Mm. Um, we show up at the party late and we don't like to talk to anybody until we've kind of wandered around and met some folks and finally get our, get into the groove there. Um, my, my, uh, wolves tend to be the most creative of my, of my four categories. Um, these are my artists or my actors or my musicians. Um, very, very interesting group of people, um, but not on society schedule at all. Um, as a matter of fact, they've often been told that they're lazy um, wolves are more prone to nightmares. 
Um, wolves are more prone to disease. Um, a whole bunch of different things that are not necessarily a good thing to be. But, you know, this is all biologically determined, by the way. That's one thing we didn't mention is it's mm. all based on something called the PER3 gene. Now, there are over 80 different markers out there that help us learn more about morningness versus eveningness. But um, the PER3 gene is the one gene in particular that um, I based a lot of, of my book on. And uh, the length of that gene gives us how much sleep drive we have. So how much does your body really want to sleep? Because it's not the same for everyone. And in the very first chapters, we talk about how to calculate your bedtime depending upon your chronotype and understand all that. Interesting. Uh, the, yeah, the final category are my dolphins. Now, I used dolphins um, as a symbol because dolphins sleep what is called unihemispherically. So half of their brain is asleep while the other half is awake looking for predators. And I thought that was kind of a neat symbol for my insomniacs who are just never quite asleep. Um, that seems to happen to quite a few of them. And by the way, lions are early morning risers. They kill before dawn. Bears get up at the sun and go, and go to sleep uh, when the sun goes down. And wolves are nocturnal creatures as well. So each one of the animals actually represents the chronotype. Yeah. So can a person's chronotype change throughout their life? It can. Um, it's interesting. It seems to go, uh, you know, throughout childhood, you know, we were talking about teenagers, they have a tendency to be wolves. Then by about 18 to 20, your chronotype kind of settles in. Yeah. Then it stays there till you're about 50. And then at 50, you usually turn into one of two directions. You either turn into a dolphin or turn into a lion. Uh, okay. um, the reason people turn into dolphins is because they become medically complicated, right? So they're on yeah. medications or things like that and can give them erratic sleep schedules. Um, meanwhile, um, some become lions. And if you've ever noticed, you know, uh, if you talk to your grandparents or any seniors that, you know, they're up at 430 in the morning yeah. and they're going to bed at eight o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, what implications does this have on, let's say, um, a person who's either one trying to improve their health using, you know, natural remedies, uh, mm -hmm. exercise and all that kind of stuff. And then the person who's also on uh, pharmaceutical medications, you know, because I know that you talked about in the book on how uh, taking taking your medications at certain times, right? It affects how the medication works on your body. Talk a little bit yeah. about that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, isn't that fascinating? It's, um, it's it really is. <laughs> you know, when you start to look at some of some of those um, those changes that are out there, it's it, it almost you kind of start to wonder, like, why hasn't my doctor been telling me um, about? you know, this, um, I, I, I'm, I, I'll, I'll quote you a couple of things from the book that I thought was, was really quite interesting. So, um, as a, let's look at something like aspirin, right? Mm, so aspirin yeah. has been around forever, uh, study in, uh, 2014, uh, where they took 300 heart attack survivors and put them into two groups. First group took hundred milligrams of aspirin at 8 AM. The second group took a same dosage at 11 PM. Um, when you looked at blood platelets, which is what causes clotting and therefore heart attacks and strokes, uh, they're most active in the morning. So aspirin has long been known to reduce platelet activity. Uh, and so would a morning dose group do better shape after two to three month testing period? And it turned out, no, the evening group showed greater reduction in platelet activity and tolerated aspirin-related stomach problems better than the morning group. So for those of you out there, you shouldn't be taking an aspirin in the morning. You should be taking an aspirin at night. Huh. Right. I mean, this stuff is crazy. Uh, another one, a uh, blood pressure medication. This was really interesting. Um, so we know blood pressure fluctuates based on your chrono rhythm. Um, 
And when you get up in the morning and then it dips between 10 to 20% overnight. So people with high blood pressure don't experience that dip at night. We call them non-dippers, right? Not a very technical name there, but that's what we call them, um, <laughs> right? Their yeah. blood pressure actually stays high while they're asleep. So uh, this was a study done in Spain, and they uh, looked at the impact of non-dipping uh, risk on stroke. And so uh, they had study was five years, 3,000 men and women with high blood pressure. And they discovered that people who took their medicine at night had a 33% lowered risk of heart attack and stroke compared with morning pill takers. The only thing they did different, the only thing was taking their medication at night. And it, 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 33%, I mean, a third of the people didn't have heart attacks and strokes just because they took their medication at night. So how like, would we determine? That's crazy. How would we determine, you know, I mean, we, people know, they'll, they'll figure out their chronotype. How do we determine when to take what, you know, and when to do what? So buy the book, man. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a whole chapter on this um, yeah. where I go through the drugs and the different times, everything from antihistamines. Um, acid reflux drugs. Um, also, you can ask your doctor. Um, you could ask your doctor, are the, you know, do you know of any time differences or what is the best time to take this medication? Now, classically, doctors will say, well, if somebody has to take their medication three times a day, then just take it with breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Sure. Right? Um, and that, because that was really to get people to remember to take their drug, not, not because it was the most effective at right. that point in time. So um, your doctor may say, oh, take it, you know, three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, you should be responsible. You should say, well, why? Um, you should say, you know, w w why does my body need it at, the, at you know, at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Um, is that when it runs out? Um, is that where my disease has progressed? Could there be times of day where it might be more effective um, to do that, especially if you're only taking a medication one time a day? Uh, you know, three times a day is a little bit different because you kind of have to space it out by like four hours each time. But, um, you know, when you're looking at medication that you only take once a day, when would be the best time? Could there be something that could be more effective? I'll tell you an interesting story. I was uh, early in my career, I was uh, working uh, in hospitals and um, I learned that on the cancer ward, on the oncology floor, they're actually administer chemotherapy in the middle of the night. And when they do that, they need less chemotherapy and it's more effective. I mean, that stuff's crazy. I mean, this is making huge, huge differences yeah. in people's lives. Um, the other thing is sample collection. You give a urine or a stool or a saliva sample. Um, I can tell you now within the next five years, they'll be starting to timestamp those because wherever you are in your circadian rhythm, that can have an effect. So as an example, if you did blood in the morning for thyroid and then you did blood in the late afternoon for thyroid, same person, you could get fairly dramatically different results. Yeah, I started to notice this about like seven, eight years ago, and because you know some of my mentors in the functional medicine community, they they would mm -hmm. always talk about you know doing salivary testing and all of this mm -hmm. kind of stuff, and it looks it looks at a pattern throughout the, throughout the day, right. and then you know we started ordering blood tests throughout the day, and it was mm -hmm. drastically different, and I'm like this this has huge implications upon. Uh, mm -hmm. prescription, prescription medications because if you take a person uh, their their readings in the morning and you're just going solely off of that you may be giving the wrong type and the wrong dosage for that person and there's no wonder why people are getting so messed up and not giving the right. results that they want you know right it, it's, absolutely so I, I i why do you think that more medical doctors don't 
don't ascribe to or don't even know about chronotyping? You know, the data really hasn't been around that long. Um, really, chrono, chronobiology has really kind of blossomed within the last probably 10 to 15 years. Right, right. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people didn't get it in medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and quite frankly, they're not really teaching it in medical school now. Um, this, is, this is one of those areas where traditional medicine hasn't really kind of thought this through. Um, whereas functional medicine, this is one of the areas that functional medicine does think about. You know, we think about things like nutrition, we think about yeah. things like timing, we think about things mm-hmm. like sleep, exercise, and and how what could be the root cause of some of the some of these more confusing um, situations out there. And so I think it's partially because the the discipline itself has never really been interested, and partly because there hasn't been the research there. Mm. So I'm going to ask you, what are the top let's say top three sleep myths that you, you know, you run into. Cause you know, we hear a lot of those, those things, but what are the top three? Sure. So number one is that eight hours is what you need. Yeah. Okay. So why, why did we end up on, on that number by the way? Like, so was, there was a study at Stanford, uh, about 30 or 40 years ago now, maybe longer, yeah. um, where they took people and they put them into a sleep deprivation chamber Um, and, and what they said, time deprivation. So you didn't know what time it was. Um, there were no light cues. There were no, uh, morning, evening cues, nothing. And, um, they let them sleep as long as they wanted. And, um, at first they slept seven, then eight, then nine, all the way up to 12 hours. And then they started to come back down and, um, their bodies would not let them sleep longer than eight hours and 13 minutes. And so um, that was where the original recommendation came from. This was 50 years ago, right? The stressors <laughs> okay. then were very different than the stressors are today. Um, the uh, availability of information, very different. Um, the, the world was just different back then. Yeah. And so what we've got is we've got outdated data um, for that. You know? and, and the other thing that I thought was very strange was Um, you know, not all people are created equal. I've been a six and a half hour sleeper almost my entire life. Um, and, um, my wife needs, you know, seven and a half or eight, right? I mean, that's just her body. That's what her body is telling her that she needs. So number one is figure out what your sleep need might be. Now I'll tell you an easy way to do that. So everybody has a socially determined wake up time in my house. It's around six 15. We got to get up, got to get the kids up, um, get ready for work, get ready for school, that kind of thing. So uh, make the math simple. Let's say it's 6.30, right? We know that the average sleep cycle is 90 minutes long and that the average person has five of those sleep cycles. Not you uh, wolves and dolphins, by the way, but the, uh, the rest of the world seems to have about five sleep cycles. Wolves and dolphins seem to have four. So you take 90 times five, which is 450 minutes of sleep. That's kind of what we think that mm-hmm. group of people needs. We count 450 minutes backwards from six and 6.30 and we get to 11 o'clock, okay. right? And so now we know what our bedtime is because we all know what our wake-up time is, but bedtimes can vary widely, even for one person on a given week. So once you know what your bedtime is, do that for seven days. If you can wake up within five minutes of your alarm going off, then you figured out you need seven and a half hours of sleep. Um, I did this experiment personally, and it didn't work well. Um, I did it. I got up at 6.30. Uh, I went to bed at 11 and all of a sudden I started doing this and I started waking up at 5.30. And so I said, well, then clearly I don't need to go to bed at 11. I need to go to bed at 12. So I went to bed at 12. I woke up at 6.30. I feel great. 
So I figured out my number. So the myth number one is eight hours of sleep is a myth. Um, and you can figure out what your individual sleep need is just by running this, what I call bedtime calculator experience. Gotcha. Gotcha. What's the next one? Myth number two is um, if you have insomnia or didn't get a good night's sleep, do not go to bed early. Um, this, is a, this is probably the biggest mistake that most people make is they didn't sleep well the night before. Let's say they got four and a half, five hours. They say, I'm going to just crawl into bed. Usually I go to bed at 11. I'm going to crawl into bed at 8.30, 9 o'clock and catch up on my sleep. So you can't it, catch up, right? It doesn't work that way. Mm. Sleep is like a baseball game, okay? If the game starts at 8 and you show up at 9.30, they don't restart the game, yeah. right? You're there in the third inning. Same holds true as if you go to the baseball game at 6 o'clock. All you're going to see is batting practice. You're not going to see the game. Mm -hmm. You have inside of you something called a circadian rhythm, and it's very precise. And it wants to go to bed roughly at 1030, and it wants you to get up somewhere between 630 and 730. Okay? That's rough. Those are rough estimates of what your circadian rhythm wants to do. If you don't follow your circadian rhythm, it still functions. The game still goes on whether you're watching it or not. Yeah. And so when you sleep in or you sleep early, you're not getting the same sleep. If you sleep in, you'll get, you'll get a little bit more REM sleep um, because that has a tendency to happen in the back half of the night. But you will have missed stage three and four sleep, which is the physically restorative sleep that you needed at the front end of the night. Same holds true if you go to bed early. Um, the problem with going to bed early is most people can't fall asleep. I can't count the number of patients that have showed up that have said, I felt exhausted. I had a terrible night's sleep the night before. I got in bed and all I did was stare at the ceiling for two mm -hmm. hours. So what I, I know that this is going to be one question that listeners you know, listening to this right now is going to ask, um, why do people feel more tired if they sleep longer? Like, you know, they, they're like, oh, I'm yep. going to get lost to sleep and then they, they feel even more tired. Why is that? Yes. So this also happens if you nap too long. Um, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I oh, have yeah. where I, if yeah. I nap for longer than about 25 minutes, I feel like crap yeah. when I wake up, right? So the reason this happens is because um, your body goes into a deeper stage of sleep um, and you end up with something that we call sleep inertia. Now, this happened to me just the other day. My daughter and I had to get up at five o'clock in the morning. She had a project, a retreat that she had to go to by six in downtown Los Angeles. So we're up at five. We're out the door at 530. We get to the thing by six. She finishes up. We get home and it's still 830, nine o'clock in the morning. So I figured to myself, OK, I'll just lie down and take a quick 25 minute nap. Well, I woke up two hours later and I couldn't shake it all day long. This is because I tried to wake up out of a deeper sleep cycle mm. um, and my body was trying to push me into, but my brain couldn't get out of it when I woke up. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, what, you got any more myths? Well, I would say one of the other myths that people just need to kind of think through is caffeine. So I have lots and lots of people who come to me and they say, oh, Dr. Bruce, caffeine doesn't affect me. I can have a, you know, two espressos or cappuccinos with dinner and fall right asleep. So here's the news flash for everybody out there. Caffeine, uh -oh. is, a caffeine is a stimulant. Yeah. I don't, ca I don't care if you're sensitive or you're not sensitive to it. If you can fall asleep after two cappuccinos, it just means you're really sleep deprived. Um, it is affecting your brain waves. It is keeping you out of the deeper stages of sleep, and it, it's causing you to get um, lighter, less quality rest. 
Gotcha. So, so you look, need to stop caffeine by about 2 p.m. That's that's what I tell all my patients as well. Um, mm-hmm. What what would be your top, your number one tip for the person who just struggles with sleep? They just, they've tried it all. What would be your top tip for them? I don't have one. I have a five-step method. Can I talk about that? Oh, real quick? yeah, that's even better. <laughs> okay, so so step number one is to pick a sleep schedule and stick to it. Okay. So do the bedtime calculator experiment like we were just talking about and figure out when you should be sleeping and for how long. Okay. And then do that every single evening, including the weekends. Okay. So the caveat here is if you go to bed at 11 during the week, if you can go to bed at 11 during the weekend, it's more important to wake up on time. So if you wake up at 630 during the week, I don't care if you don't go to bed until two o'clock in the morning on Friday night, you're up at 630. Okay. Okay. Take no naps during the day and go to bed at your, what should be your normal bedtime. Keep one consistent sleep schedule. If, if there was one thing that people get from this talk, other than trying to figure out what their chronotype is, you absolutely positively should keep the same consistent schedule. Uh, step number two has to do with caffeine. I want you to stop caffeine by 2 PM. Uh, most people don't know, but caffeine has a half-life of between six and eight hours. And so we want at least half of it out of your system by the time you're trying to fall asleep. Step number three has to do with alcohol. Um, there's nothing wrong with having a couple of glasses of wine with dinner, but once you go past two, um, you will affect your ability to get into deep sleep. You know, there's a really big difference between going to sleep and passing out. Um, and um, alcohol, while it's the number one sleep aid in the world, once you get past two drinks, it's really uh, it's really not good. So I tell people stop your last drink three hours before lights out. So step three is is nothing for no alcohol for three hours before lights out. Step number four is exercise. Um, exercise is the single biggest way to get better quality sleep. Single best way. Um, but some people get kind of jazzed up after exercise. So if you're going to be an exerciser, what I suggest to people is stop exercise approximately four hours before bed. Um, we, we know that that it can have an effect on people, some people, not all people, but some people. So step four is to stop exercise four hours before it lights out. And then finally, step five is every morning, see if you can get about 15 minutes of sunlight. Sunlight resets your circadian clock, uh, and it helps, um, all of your hormones kind of know when to lift off. So I'm, I'm a big fan of getting 15 minutes of sunlight every morning. So just to recap, step one, have one consistent sleep schedule. Step two, stop caffeine by 2 p.m. Step three, stop alcohol three hours before lights out. Step four, exercise daily, but stop four hours before bed. And step five, get 15 minutes of sunlight every morning. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I know that you also talk about like the use of like essential oils and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, where does that fit into that 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 five step? So it, that would be part of your nighttime routine, okay? Right. And so I, I believe that um, sleep is not an on off switch. It's more like slowly pulling your foot off the gas and slowly putting your foot on the brake. There's sort of a process that needs yeah. to occur there, um, and it takes about forty minutes or so to wind down. Yeah. So. Let's say you're going to bed at 11. At, starting at 10 o'clock, here's what you do. is You take the 10 to 11 hour and you chop it up into three 20-minute segments. Mm-hmm. 20 minutes is just things you got to do, right? So in our house, it's getting kids' backpacks together, finding shoes, getting my briefcase, that kind of thing. 20 minutes for hygiene and then 20 minutes for some form of meditation or relaxation. During that 20-minute period, that's when supplementation with either essential oils or aromatherapy or supplements can actually be very effective. 
Um, the only caveat there is melatonin should be taken approximately 90 minutes before bed um, if it's going to be taken in a pill or a capsule format because it takes 90 minutes for plasma concentration levels to be effective for sleep. Gotcha. Awesome. Awesome. So one last question for you. You know, sure. I, I I look at your your credentials and I look at all the, the stuff that you're doing, you know, being on a Dr. Oz show, writing for Huffington Post and, and being mm -hmm. on all of these things. How do you remain balanced with such a busy schedule? So I don't. Um, it's not very good. Um, you know, I, I used to try to push the idea of work-life balance. And what I decided was is that it has to be more like work-life integration for yes, me. Yes, yes. Um, totally that agree. just seems, that yeah. just seems to work a whole lot better. Yeah. Um, I get my six and a half to seven hours almost every night. That's a priority for me. Um, you know, when I'm at conferences and jet lag and travel, I take melatonin and I use light therapy, um, to help me uh, have less jet lag. And, um, and I work at it, you know, you have to make sleep a priority. Mm. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. You know, there's a lot of pressures on ourselves and our time. Um, that happen quite often. And um, if you can make sleep a priority and know how much you need and know when you need to get it, just get it. It, it will serve you so much better in the long run. I, I was at a conference last week and um, there were some lovely people that I really wanted to hang out with. And they were going out drinking starting, you know, dinner was over by 930, quarter to 10, and they wanted to go out to the bars, you know, and I just said, I'm, I would love to hang out with you guys, but I'm going to bed, you know, I, yeah. I, I'm just not up for this because I had three days of a conference and I was giving lectures and things like that. Like I needed to be on it. And so knowing and understanding what you're, you're really capable of turns out to be critically important. So it, kind of piggybacking on that, you know, be, mm -hmm. having a busy schedule and, and traveling, um, you know, uh, I, I, I follow a lot of with, with Dave Asprey and, and, and yeah. he, you know, he's very, very big on using um, tinted glasses to block out the blue spectrum uh -huh. of light. What's yeah. your thoughts uh, on, on use, utilizing stuff like that or even just, just simple stuff like the, what is it, the sunset mode on your, right. your phone and on your uh -huh. laptops or whatever? What's your thoughts? So on I like all of that. So actually, it's funny. I'm going to see Dave tonight, as a matter of fact. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, he's a super cool guy. I like I like hanging out with him. Um, so uh, Dave loves those red glasses, those uh, you know, like five dollar glasses that you can get at Home Depot. Um, yeah, yeah. Me, I, me personally, I like the concept behind blue blocker glasses. I yeah. don't like the red ones that he uses. Um, I like there's a there's a company called uh, Swanwick. Yeah. Um, and uh, James Swanwick created really fashionable, really nice glasses. Um, so I use those. My son, actually, my 13 year old uses those at night when he's studying and he, it uh, reduces his eye strain, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I believe in them. I think they work. Um, as far as the phone, um, iPhone has got something called night shift. Yep. Do Just go into the settings, figure it out and do it. It's not that hard. Um, it, it works okay. It, all it does is it tones the brightness down. There's a difference between changing the wavelength of light, which is 460 nanometers, which affects your melatonin production versus changing the brightness. So it's not going to be as good, but it's, it's going to be slightly helpful. Um, the best one I've seen is something called flux F L U dot X. Uh, it's a free program that you can download to your laptop. Uh, and it does a really nice job. Um, they've got some real science behind what they do. So I would say 
100% the data is supportive of using blue blocking technology in the evenings to help with sleep. Yeah, because I see Dave, like even when he's flying, you know, he's yeah. he's rocking the Cyclops glasses. I know, it's so, it's so funny. Yeah, he looks like one of the guys from the X-Men. Right, and I'm like, oh, must be a conversation starter, you know? <laughs> yeah, with Dave, everything is a conversation yeah. starter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet, I bet. Well, awesome. Uh, any last words you want to leave our audience with? You know, uh, what I would tell people is um, if you can go to the Power of When quiz and take the quiz, I think you'll find it interesting. Um, you get results. You learn a lot more about who you are. Um, if you do get an opportunity to pick up the book, The Power of When, um, thank I would appreciate it. Thanks for your support. I think you'll find it fascinating. Um, it seems to be that the favorite chapter in, in that book is when is the best time to have sex. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And people are always interested <laughs> in that one or when to ask their boss for a raise. Um, or when to exercise. Um, there's a lot of different areas that I think people will find interesting. So check it out if you have some time. Um, and, uh, and thanks for listening. Where, uh, where can people connect with you? Mm-hmm. Um, people can find me at thesleepdoctor.com. That's my website. Or thepowerofwhen.com. Perfect, perfect. Also, I'm, on, uh, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, if you follow me there, I send out um, tweets fairly regularly with sleep tips, uh, articles, things like that. So I use that as kind of my forum to let people know what's going on. Awesome. Well, it's been very informative. And uh, if you guys don't already have the book, get the book, uh, get the audio book as well, because you you want to listen to this uh, while you're driving and all this kind of stuff and, and then implement mm-hmm. that. And then uh, and then start changing, start changing your routine, because I know a lot of people once they read that book, I know for, after I read it, I was like, oh, a lot of stuff starts to make sense. And I started changing I know, my routine, right? It's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, it's stuff that you don't necessarily think about, but intuitively your body's trying to tell you these things, but you try to fight mm-hmm. against that, you know? So get the book and then start implementing it. All right, head over to the show notes at www.whatupdocuniversity.com forward slash episode 57. That's whatupdocuniversity.com forward slash episode 57. And there you can find the things that we talked about in today's episode. And there will be a link where you guys can go and take the chronotype tests, right? So figure out which one is your chronotype. And that's going to really help you out a lot in figuring out some things. And it may answer a lot of your health questions as well. Be sure to pick up his book as well. You can find the link to the show notes in that as well. Uh, if you if you buy the book through our, our show notes, there's an affiliate link and we get a little bit of a a, a commission on that and that helps fund the show and that we can bring you more episodes like this. So if you do so, we'd love that as well. And if you love this show, please, you know, maybe leave us a five-star review and uh, showing us some love there because it helps our iTunes rankings and helps us to increase our exposure to others as well. And if you like it even more, Feel free to share this episode with your friends and family uh, on social media, and maybe you want to email it to somebody. But then again, you know, if you don't like us as well, let us know. Hey, you know, let, let us know on, on some of the things that maybe you guys want to hear. Maybe you don't want to hear. I love all the comments and questions that I get, and I try to get back to almost every single one of them. 
All right, guys, be sure to connect with us on social media. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Dr. Mike O-K-O-U-C-H-I. That's Dr. Mike O-K-O-U-C-H-I. Till the next time, guys, be well and aloha. Aloha.